matchup. 40, pushes the man, 35, looking at him go. 30, 25, he's at the 20, gets the block. He's gone. Head, pass, touchdown. Welcome to another episode of Any Given Monday. I'm Hayden Nadoni, and joining me as always, Duncan Song. Duncan, you feeling better this week, mate? Yeah, look, Nads, feeling a little bit better. Uh, still not quite there, but we're good enough to pump out another episode tonight. And, mate, what a huge episode it is. We've got lots to get through. We've got all of the coaching changes to catch up on. We've got free agent previews for all of the offensive players. It's going to be a big show. But before we get to all of that, let's just start off with some social media straight up. So what was your social media love for this week? Oh, mate, it's a pretty pretty, pretty bad one, to be honest. Uh, T.O., Terrell Owens. He had a bit of a tweet regarding the screw-up on the Oscars relating to his Hall of Fame selection. So he tweeted, and I quote, After watching the Oscars 2017 Moonlight snafu, maybe I did make the Hall of Fame class of 2017. (laughs) That is shocking with a hashtag of Moonlightgate. That is one of the worst tweets I have seen on this whole saga. I'm going to... It's a love this week, but it's a love because it's so bad. It's pretty funny. Come on, give him a little bit of credit. <laughs> I still don't it's know how funny. they make such a mistake, though. No, it's, no, it's ridiculous. It's really embarrassing. That, that that would be like my biggest hate if, if it wasn't NFL-related, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, what is your biggest hate that's NFL-related? Yeah, so my hate this week is the hysteria surrounding former, and I quote, star players who have been cut. So you've got like any player that's cut, for instance... The immediate reaction from fans on social media is, should we sign this guy? Is this guy worth picking up? That's natural. Yeah, but the the reality is that they've been cut for a reason. And we're seeing examples already flying about and free agency hasn't even like gone crazy yet. And the two biggest examples are Jamal Charles and Adrian Peterson, who were cut today. So Peterson, he's had all this hype as a premier running back for the last better part of a decade. Now, don't get me wrong, he... He was a star, but oh, wasn't he, he? He, he's played one game in 2014 and he played only three games last year and both are due to injury. It's not suspension. He, he was injured in that time. Now, in 2016, I watched his three games and he looked done. Now, I had Peterson in my Dynasty Fantasy League and he killed uh, me. So, I don't know all about that. Oh, one. yeah. Uh, don't, don't. Do, you want, do you want to just tell the listeners how I went in our Dynasty Fantasy League? Uh, the prick that um, I'm com- commentating with, yeah, he, he happened to win. But oh, you at, skipped at, over that really quickly. Yeah, at, at my expense. But yeah. so, so Peterson's killed me for, an, for a number of years now. And he's not worth, not worth the, the investment that when you're looking at, he's going to be probably um, getting a deal close to in the neighborhood of about $8 million potentially. Because the running yep. back class um, in free agency isn't that strong. We'll get to that later. But it's not that no, it's strong. Not. No. So he's going to get an overinflated contract. But it is also, I think it's worth noting, the the draft depth at running back this year, which we're going to get to in, in a week or so's time, we're going to start looking at some position previews. But the draft depth at running back this year is really, really deep. So oh, you yeah. don't need to, to overpay for guys like Peterson that are past it now. You exactly. can wait, you can draft some, like a, a young guy in the fourth, fifth round of the draft and you'll get just as good production. Exactly. Well, Jordan Howard came out at the fifth round this yeah, exactly year. exactly right. He tore it up this year with the Bears. So, And the same applies to Jamal Charles. So Charles hasn't played in more than five games in a season since 2014. So 
he's a guy that's like pretty much fallen off a cliff and then we've got all these fans saying, oh man, it's Jamal Charles. He's such a star. We've got to sign him. Well, no, it's ridiculous because there are so many better alternatives out there. And to be quite frank, this is just the beginning because you're going to find that next week free agency is going to start and there are going to be contracts coming left, right and center and they're all going to be overinflated because contracts yeah. and free agency are never at market value. It just doesn't work think, that way. I think that's the worst part is that when you buy a free agent guy, you are overpaying him. It doesn't matter how good he is, you're overpaying him. So why overpay a running back that is, you know, if, if assuming he stays healthy, you're going to get maybe two seasons out of him you're going to have to get rid of anyway. At the most. And, exactly. You know, you're going to have half the fans when a signing is made, half the team's fans are going to say, oh, wow, what a great signing. We got this guy. And then you're going to have the other half complaining that they were overpaid. Now, to all the general managers out there, good luck. <laughs> That's all I can say. And on that note, we'll leave it there. But we will keep going with the general manager theme, sort of. Let's uh, let's move focus now, Nads. Let's get into some of the coaching changes. Let's work through uh, what's what's happened in this offseason so far. All right, Nads, we've got a lot to get through here. There's lots of changes that's been going on in front offices and, and as head coaches and what have you. So we're going to have to get through this quite quickly. Let's start out with the charges. So what have we got happening there? Okay, so head coaching change. Mike McCoy's out. Anthony Lynn is in. So the Chargers had two sub-500 seasons the last two years under McCoy, and it's really not good enough. Um, he had a string of unlucky losses in the fourth quarter, and it was as if the team capitulated. It was, it was one thing after another. They were losing so many close games by one score, and it was really a case of, okay, how are they going to lose at this time? Teams knew if you got it close in the final quarter, the Chargers were going to implode. And you kind of have to look at it as a bit of a two-way street. So is it a case of the coaching resulting in the loss or is it coaching that's putting them in a potentially winning position after three quarters? And ultimately, the Chargers management, the Spanos family, decided it was the former. And look, this is something that's... This is my personal perspective on how you how you evaluate a coach and whether you decide whether they're good or not. You put any coach into a good situation and they will produce results. Okay, now I'm not going to knock Jason Garrett, but you could put just about any head coach in the league in that position and they would do pretty well as well as, as Garrett did, right? Yeah, I'd agree. But you take a team like the Chargers who, okay, they've got Joey Bosa. They've got, let's say, Melvin Ingram is reasonable. Oh, he's a, he, that, who have they got he's that's, a bit more than reasonable. But, okay, but who have they got that's like standout elite beyond no. those two? Okay, no, so the way I, terrible. Yeah, the way I evaluate a coach is how good they can get mediocrity to perform. Okay, if you can mm -hmm. get a coach that can take a team that, for all intents and purposes, is is pretty ordinary, and produce, you know, a, like above five hundred seasons, constantly challenging for the playoffs, then you've got a heck of a coach there because he's making a lot of nothing. Right? Yeah. What we saw with the charges. He's that close, but he just can't quite get there. And that, to me, tells me that even though the Chargers are lacking quite a lot of talent, Mike McCoy isn't the right guy for that job. Yeah, so getting it, rid of him and bringing, in, and bringing in Anthony Lynn, I think that's a really good, good step for the Chargers. 
Speaking of Rin, Rin has quite the history as a running backs coach. So when you think running backs coach, you're thinking tough-nosed, really t- hard, and they're going to instill that mentality across the board to the rest of the team. And he's, he's a player's coach. He definitely regarded that during his time in Buffalo. Now, the knock that I have on him, or at least a question mark, is he was the interim head coach in Buffalo and a strong candidate for that job. But he didn't get that job. It went to Sean McDermott. So the Bills knew Lynn inside out and they decided to go in a different direction. And that, to me, that's a little bit of a red flag. I think I think you're right. I think it is a bit of a red flag. Um, I think there's, there's two ways of looking at it, though. There's the way you mentioned. And there's also the... I guess it's, it's slightly different because the Bills elected to pick McDermott. But you sort of wonder... Maybe Lynn just wanted, you know, he wanted a head coaching job, but he didn't want the Bills job. Well, that's that's an interesting take. I mean, um, it, it's certainly not out of the question. But that being I mean, you look said, at, you look at the Bills roster. I mean, well, it's not like the Chargers roster is a lot. I, I, I think I think I think the Bills roster is a little bit better, to be honest. Uh, I think that you I'd can say do that, more with Tyrod Taylor and Lashawn McCoy, Sammy Watkins. That, that they've got a bit of a nucleus there. I think and we have different got, opinions of Tyrone yeah. Taylor, but that's a, that's a discussion for another podcast. Uh, but oh, no, yeah. I see your point. Look, I think it's, I, I would probably tend to side with you. I'm, I'm being a little bit of a devil's advocate here. I think that is a red flag because if he was the guy, Buffalo would have hired him on the spot, right? He's already oh, yeah. in their organization. They already know what he's like. They can already see his rapport with the players. Um, why are they then going to go out and get some outside hire? But look, he got the job in, in uh, well, Los Angeles now. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. I think it's definitely a step in the right direction from the Chargers organization. I think their time with Mike McCoy had come to an end. Uh, and I'm, I'm personally interested to see how he goes. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a watch this space with Lynn. Um, that being said, if you, as the, like, you're in Los Angeles and... You could pretty much have almost like any coach that you wanted that was available, more or less, because you have that name Los Angeles in front of it. It's SoCal. It's one of the the most premier um, cities to live in in the entire world. So um, yeah. I think they might have sold themselves a little short bringing in, in Lynn, but if they feel that Lynn's the right guy, good on them. Good luck. I just yeah. hope they don't have too much success being a Raider fan. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's go to Buffalo. Tell us, Nunk, what's going on there, mate? So we were we were just talking about Sean McDermott, but I want to start with Rex Ryan. He's been shown the door. And I know that you know that I've, I've spoken about Rex Ryan in the past, maybe not on the podcast, but just in, in you know social discussions. I do not rate Rex Ryan as an NFL standard head coach. Bottom I, line, I don't yeah. think he's good enough. No, I completely agree. The guy's a perennial underachiever. And he hasn't coached a team to a record over 500 since 2010. So that's seven years now. And quite frankly, that's not good enough for someone who was deemed to be an elite coach. I mean, back in 2015, early 2015, Rex Ryan was going around the coaching circles, having interviews, and he was being considered as one of those quote-unquote elite prospects as as a coach, having been um, fired from the Jets. Now... At the time, he he turned down an interview with the Raiders, and the Raiders got supposedly the sloppy seconds with Jack Del Rio. Now, you compare it a couple (laughs) of years later, 
Del Rio's just signed a four-year extension or a four-year contract with a two-year extension. Whilst Rex is out of the league completely, he's probably going to be doing commentary stuff in the future, and he's he's unlikely to be a head coach again. No, and I think that's probably not a bad thing. I think he's been around long enough now. Teams have seen what they're going to get from him. You know, he, he hasn't really delivered. As you say, the last six seasons hasn't coached a team over a record of 500. So I think that says everything that needs to be said. Um, they have replaced him with Sean McDermott, who we touched on briefly. He's he's the guy they've chosen. So for those of you that haven't heard of Sean McDermott, um, <clears throat> he's been Carolina's defensive coordinator since 2011. And in that time, it's been a little bit an up, a little bit of up and down, sorry. Um, but there was a period there where Carolina's defense was elite. It was one of, if not the best defense in the league. He's turned Luke Kuechly into probably one of the best defensive players in the game. Definitely, in my yeah. mind, the best inside linebacker in the game. Oh, no doubt. And I think uh, I think he's he's one that has kind of earned his stripes. We talked about with Anthony Lynn. He was never a coordinator. So he's gone from running backs coach to head coach directly. McDermott's been a coordinator for the past five or six seasons. He's earned his stripes. I think he's ready for a head uh, head coaching job. And it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do with the Bills. Yeah, it's definitely going to be very interesting. McDermott's been someone who's been touted for head coaching positions the last five years. And for whatever reason, one or another, he just never, never seemed to cross the finish line. But he's got a chance now in Buffalo. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right, let's move on to Jacksonville. So, Nads, what have we got there? All right. So, we started with a mess in Jacksonville, and we've sort of finished with a mess in Jacksonville. So, Gus Bradley is out, Doug Marone is in, and you've got Tom Coughlin, the former Giants head coach. He's come in as a front office executive. So, he doesn't have any front office experience, but that's beside the point. He's a Mr. Fix-It at this stage, and boy, oh boy, does he have a job to fix right now. Does he ever? I mean, as a, as a Colts fan, I get to see the Jags play at least twice a year, um, and it's just been it's been a shambles. I mean, Gus Bradley, he is now one of the least successful head coaches in NFL history. Jeez. In history, Nats. Yeah, he he, he was terrible. Didn't I do want to I do want to bounce something off you though. How much do you think that came down to Bradley's coaching ability? And how much do you think it came down to being forced, ha- having Blake Bortles forced on him? Well, I don't think he was forced on him because he, he, he had options and he went with Bortles. Now, that, that draft, that was a pretty epic quarterback draft. You had Teddy Bridgewater, you got Derek Carr, you got, and then you got this guy called Bortles who sort of just flew up the prospects because he looked good coming off the bus. Now, I watched tape of Bortles and I wasn't impressed with him at all. Mechanically, he's all over the place. Yeah, and he had a nice off-season in 2014. Uh, hang on. Yeah, 2014 to 2015 uh, with Tom House, who works with all the elite quarterbacks in the league. And all of a sudden, he's, he's flying up the boards. Had a great 2015 season. I thought he was going to skyrocket. And then all of a sudden, instead of liftoff, it was a crash landing. <laughs> yeah, but look, I think Bradley's time was up. And I think the Jags have done the right thing by getting rid of him. Oh, yeah, Definitely a questionable go. hire, though. It's, it's yeah. As you say, it's still a mess. So Doug Marone uh, is who they've brought in. Marone, uh, may have, you may have heard of Doug Marone for our listeners out there. He had success in Buffalo a while ago. And then uh, 
just uh, randomly exited his contract with the Bills, and uh, people thought that was that, ugly. You know, he was. Oh, was it ever? But people thought that he was going to end up as the Jet uh, at the Jets as their head coach in 2015. Um, but apparently, by all accounts, he absolutely bombed that interview. Just like completely and utterly flunked it, uh, and ended up being what what appeared to be the biggest loser of the 2015 off season. And then somehow he ends up getting an assistant coaching job in Jacksonville, which coupled with Cleveland is where all of the coaching careers go to die. Uh, And now he's been promoted from within. So look, it's an interesting hire. Um, uh, I'm not sure that that I'm sold on it, to be honest. No, I've got more faith in Tom Coughlin and... You know, knowing knowing a guy like Coughlin, it won't surprise me if if things start badly with Marone. I can see Coughlin coming in as an interim guy just to kind of mend things over for a, for a half season or so, and then restarting over. But uh, I don't trust Marone at all. I don't think he's going to be no, the right man. I, I I don't think so either. What I will say though, I think the fact that they've hired Coughlin and Marone. There's at least some synergy between the two in terms of the type of player that they like. They they have like the same view on on the characteristics that they're looking for in guys. So at least you won't have situations where you know Coughlin and Marone aren't going to be butting heads about who they should draft in the who they should take in the draft, who their free agent acquisition should be, etc. Because they they look for the same things in in the players that they they bring to their organization. Yeah, that's correct, but. The reality is that in the last four years that like Gus Bradley was coach, like look at how far their roster has progressed. They're arguably just as far away now as they were when Bradley was hired. So the job that they've got to do is just, it's ridiculous. It's an absolute Enormous. mess. It's, it's a mess. I would rather be in Cleveland than I would in Jacksonville. I was just about to ask that question and yeah. I think my answer is exactly the same. Yeah. There's, um, I, I think Cleveland has more draft picks. They've got, obviously, the number one and the number 12 this year. They've got a heck of cap room over something ridiculous like over $100 million. So they're going to be able to rebuild that team pretty quickly. Whereas Jacksonville, sure, they have the cap space, but they've been spending pretty ridiculously lately. They spent a ridiculous contract on Devon House, who apparently is being shopped right now. They also spent a ridiculous contract on Malik Jackson, so he's taking up a lot of space. He, sure, he's a great player, but he's probably not worth the $18 million they're paying him per year. They've got Chris Ivory on a $6 million per year deal, and he's not even uh, an average backup running back. So, And, and then yep. let, let's not forget Bortles. The, until the quarterback position is solved there, we're going to have, have a mess. All right. So you take Cleveland over the Jags. You take the 49ers over the Jags? Ooh, now that one's... that that, that That's tricky. Um a little bit harder, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'd probably lean towards Jacksonville simply because the 49ers are oh, they they have so many ownership issues. Jed yeah. Jed York and the the York family in general, they kind of that they, they like to make themselves in the headlines for the wrong reasons. And yeah. whereas you look at someone like Shard Khan, who's the owner of the Jags, and he he sort of sits back, lets things go, and sort of is, is willing to give a bit more leeway. So I'd be inclined to go to Jacksonville. Speaking of 49ers, they've made multiple changes this offseason. Chip Kelly is out, Kyle Shanahan is in, and they've got a GM change as well. So Trent Bolke has been cut, and you've brought in John Lynch 
first time general manager, first time front office executive. Your thoughts, Nate? Well, let's let's just break this down to one at a time. So Chip Kelly out. And look, I, I'm not a 49ers fan, but I'm happy for the 49ers organization that he is gone. I'm, I'm happy that the Chip Kelly NFL experiment is hopefully over. I do have concerns as to, you know, did the Chip Kelly, the personnel guy, get in the way of Chip Kelly, the offensive coordinator? Uh, sorry, the head coach. Um, and I think that's definitely the case in Philadelphia, but maybe not so much in San Fran. Um, but I think his time was done. He's, he's very... He's suited to the college game because he's very much a gimmick type of guy. And you get away with that stuff. You get away with that at the college level because consistency across your playing group at the college level is much lower. You might have, you know, any any team you're playing against might have one or two guys on average that are NFL standard. You're playing in the NFL, you've got 11 guys plus everyone on the sideline who's up to NFL standard and the gimmicks just don't work as well. So I think he came in, he had some success running gimmicks and then he got figured out really quickly and the experiment has hopefully come to an end. Yeah, I'll, this... I'll just I just want to add regarding Kelly. He he's got quite the reputation as being quite a bit of a hard hard ass kind of guy. He rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And in pro sports, especially pro football, you're going to get found out real quickly. And it's no secret that Kelly butted heads with so many players in Philadelphia. You got Shady McCoy, Jeremy Macklin, um, the whole Riley Cooper situation that that sure. it just blew out of proportion. Now in the college game. They're there. The players are there for what three years, maybe four. So if, if you're going to rub them up the wrong way, you rub them up pretty quickly, and then they're off to the pros. Yep. So you can have that turnover a bit, bit easier. Whereas in the pros, um, you're just going to get swallowed up. You're also dealing with younger guys at the college level, so there's a little bit more, I guess, inherent respect that mm. that, that they give their coach. Um, whereas once you're in the pros, you're a pro. Like you're an adult. You're a fully grown man. You're a pro. You don't want to be treated like a child, or I think that's that's some of what what came with Chip Kelly. Uh, having said that, they've now replaced him with Kyle Shanahan, who I think after seeing what he did in Atlanta this year with that offense, uh, I think he's deserving of a head coaching job. Uh, he he deserved it. He had his pick of wherever he wanted to go. Um, he, he's obviously chosen San Francisco. I think there were probably better better situations out there for him, but I guess. That, that's why he's in the chair and we're sitting here talking about him being in the chair. So, Correct. It, I mean, yeah. he's, he got given a six-year deal, so he's got time. He can, he can you know, put his footprint on it um, rather than trying to you know, win straight away, I guess. Look, look, six years sounds great in theory, but do you really think that Jed York's going to sit around for the oh, next no. three years while he just tinkers around, uh, while Shanahan's tinkering around and getting, okay, maybe a three-win season to a five-win, a six-win? If they're sub-500 after three years, the, the Yorks will just pay out the rest of his contract. So I'm not, I'm not looking at the, the length of the... Um, contract and saying, oh wow, he's going to get time because you don't get time in the NFL. It just doesn't work that way. It it sounds no. nice politically, but the reality is that it's a completely different kettle of fish. Look, while I agree with you and I totally think that Jed York would do that, I still think that the key to being a successful owner is consistency. So if you give a guy a six-year deal, that's on you, right? You, you're mm. stuck with the guy for six years. You give him the full six years and then at the end of it, you know, it doesn't it doesn't pan out. Well, then you can say, well, okay, he didn't deliver. But if you're giving a guy a six year contract and then cutting him after three, that's on you as an owner for making a terrible decision to give him a six year deal in the first place. 
Well, that being said, one of the, the main issues that people were having with the 49ers job was the ownership. And a few people on Twitter, a few of the media, the mainstream guys were speculating that the only reason Kyle Shanahan came to San Francisco was because he was offered such a long deal. And I mean, when you're only going to get one, maybe two shots in the league and a head coach money is 100% guaranteed contract. So if you cut, you still get that money. To get that extra year, it's probably an extra cup, maybe three or four million that you get. That's that's pretty good long term. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I do think it's going to be interesting though. He's, so he's got the number two pick. What he doesn't have is a franchise quarterback. Now, we've seen, you know, two years ago, we heard the struggles that even Matt Ryan, who's a very smart guy, very big football IQ and a very, very good quarterback... He had trouble dealing with the complexity of Shanahan's offense, right? Obviously, mm. in the second year, it was fantastic to watch for everybody, and, and Ryan was the MVP. But I'm interested to see what he does now. Does he draft a guy like you know, Deshaun Kaiser, Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Watson? Does he draft one of them at number two, throw them in the deep end with this really complex system and see how they go? Or does he get an, you know look around and try and find another guy that's already in the league? What are your thoughts? The, the worst thing you can do is to draft a guy that, sh- that shouldn't be drafted at the position you take him. So there's no point in reaching for a quarterback that's probably maybe 30th overall in terms of your big board and you're taking him at number two just because he's a quarterback. You really have to stick to your board on offense. And if you don't stick to your board come the draft, they're going to be overdrafting guys. They're not going to get the right value. Their team is it's going to take longer to rebuild it. So they're really better off signing a vet for at least one or two years. Maybe take a flyer on someone in the draft, maybe in the later rounds, maybe on day three, someone who maybe has slid during the draft. And then you can yep. develop them for a couple of years. And if they pan out, that's great. If not, you wait until the next franchise guy's there. You don't try to tag a guy as a franchise guy if they're not that talented. No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who he does get. Um, but I guess that's that's going to come up. We'll, we'll talk on this more a little bit in the free agency preview about the quarterbacks that are out there. Um, but let's just keep this moving along. So the fallout of this, of course, is that the Falcons have lost their offensive coordinator. Yeah, um, they've, they've lost Kyle Shanahan, but they've also lost Matt LaFleur, who's the quarterback's coach. So they needed to replace, replace Shanahan first, and they replaced him with Steve Starkeesian. Now, people who don't know Stark, Sark was Alabama's OC for just one game. One game last year, and it's ridiculous. The, the guy goes from, from USC to Washington and he ends up out of the out of coaching he's got severe alcohol issues and then all of a sudden he, he pops up on Alabama for one game and now after one game he's getting promoted to the NFL on the on the best offense in the league I know so it's ridiculous the guy must have talent for an org- for so many teams and so many organizations both in the college and the pro level to be giving him so many promotions and second and third chances despite his well-documented issues. Yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised by this hire. Um, I could... I can kind of see him going to another college team. I could see some random college team giving him a flyer of a deal, but this is the pros, man. You can't mess around with this sort of stuff. You, you see enough problems with the playing group. You don't want your coach or your coordinator setting a bad example for the players and the pros. I just, I, 
scratching my head with this one, Nads, but look, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and we'll see how he goes. All right, so you touched on uh, Matt Lafleur, who was the quarterbacks coach. He's gone to the Rams, so let's shift our focus over to the Rams. Um, Jeff Fisher out. Yeah, perennial seven-win coach, Matt. He needed to go. There, there's, you look there over the his tenure as coach. He was there for what about four or five years. Um, there was literally zero growth. They stayed static the whole time, and you could actually argue that the team is worse now, especially after that that trade for Jared Goff in which they they've just overpaid to the hill. And now they're stuck with a, a guy that really uh, I'm not convinced anyone really thinks he's the guy at this point. No, definitely not. They've had anemic offenses every year. So in a way, I think it's a really bold move to bring in a guy like Sean McVay in as the head coach. Oh, for sure. Um, so Sean McVay, he's the youngest head coach in the league now. Um, those of you who probably haven't heard of him, he's had success in Washington, uh, working with Kirk Cousins, and we've seen what's happened with that offense. It's turned into, you know, pretty well an, an explosive juggernaut in in some respects. Um, and he's also widely considered to be one of the brightest young minds in the NFL from a coaching point of view. So, look, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, as as you said, I'm not sure Goff is the guy. Uh, having said that, well, McVay is probably one of the better guys he could be working with. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there as well. Yeah, he he's gonna look good on the the SoCal big uh, the SoCal billboards. That's for sure. Definitely, he's he's a good poster boy to sell season tickets at the very least if he doesn't pan out. Yeah, nah, you're right. Okay, moving a little bit little bit out east, we're gonna go up the mountains to Denver. So yep. Gary Kubiak, he's gone. Who have they brought in? They've brought in Vance Joseph. Now, again, we'll, we'll give you a quick rundown. So Vance Joseph, he's had one year of experience as a defensive coordinator. So he was uh, a defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins in 2016, uh, and they were ranked 18th in points allowed on defense, giving up 23.8 points a game. So that's not screaming out head coaching material, right? Having said that, by all accounts, Vance Joseph would have been... Uh, John Elway's pick to be the Broncos head coach uh, had Kubiak not wanted the gig in 2015. So uh, obviously rates him fairly highly. I don't know about you, Nads. I'm skeptical. I mean, it's just he's not given me anything, be it as a coordinator or you know, in what he's done so far in this off season uh, in terms of coach hirings to to scream out head coach material. Yeah, it's it's a it's an odd one. I mean. You'd think being a defensive guy, Vance Joseph, he's going to put together a really nice defensive staff. And I look at who he's brought in. He's brought in Joe Woods as his defensive coordinator. Now, Joe Woods was the defensive backs coach in Oakland back in 2012. He was terrible. He was one of the worst coaches on the team and they couldn't wait to get rid of him. Now, all of a sudden... He's gone from being a, a run-of-the-mill defensive backs coach, and now he's being promoted to defensive coordinator. Now, it's a, it's a terrible hire. That being said, I look at who he's brought in on the offensive side of the ball, and he's brought in Mike McCoy. He can scheme. And you've also got Bill Musgrave as the quarterback's coach. Bill Musgrave was the offensive coordinator of the Raiders the past two seasons. So they've got some really nice guys there. But I'm just not convinced that they're going to be able to put an elite defensive staff together. 
And right now, the Broncos need an elite defensive staff because that's where all their talent is. You need to maximize your talent. Yeah, look, this one, this is one of the ones I'm watching with a lot more interest than any of the others. I said a bit earlier about how I grade coaches and it's to look at guys and what they can achieve with not a lot of talent. You look at Vance Joseph in Miami, you can't tell me that that Miami defense didn't have talent. I mean, they paid a small fortune to get Ndamukong Sue on their roster. They've got Cameron Wake. They've got Kiko Alonso. That's three big pieces in that defensive front seven that you should be able to build a very good defense around. And yet the Dolphins ranked 18th in points allowed. So that's not screaming I can do well with mediocrity if I can't do well with talent. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting to see what he can achieve with Denver's defense. Yeah, don't don't sleep on Byron Maxwell either. He had a he had an elite year with Miami this year. I mean it just goes that just that reinforces my argument really. I mean Oh, exactly. I'm I'm very very skeptical. Um look, having said that, I do I agree with you. I think hiring Mike McCoy and and, and Bill Musgrave that screams head coach material those two hires that is what you want from your head coach you want your head coach going okay i can't do everything i need to surround myself with the right people you look at bill belichick who's you know let's say at this point he's the greatest coach of all time for Mm -hmm. argument's sake if nothing else who has he surrounded himself with he's got josh mcdaniels as his offensive coordinator who's widely considered one of the best offensive coordinators in the league and he's got matt matt patricia on the defensive side of the ball who's considered one of the best defensive coordinators in the league and this is the greatest coach of all time yeah no i completely agree there um you really have to look at the the staff that you a coach is going to put together i would argue that the staff can actually be more important than the figurehead at the top. So sure, you need a great figurehead, but you know if if Bill Belichick, for instance, was bringing in some coaches from Cleveland to be the to be his staff, well, I wouldn't have as much faith in him as I would if he was had Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia. No, hundred percent agree. But as we say, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm just going to throw a little bit of a nugget in here. So Omar Kelly, he's a reporter of the South Florida Sun Sentinel. And he's reported that Aqib Talib could be a big salary that the Broncos look to dump this offseason. Now, I don't usually put much stock into such speculation, but you have to consider at this time of the year, where is the leak coming from? Now, let's trace it a little bit back. <laughs> Joseph was in Miami last year. Kelly reports on the Dolphins in Miami. Uh, so you reckon there's some merit to that? I'm just thinking it's a it's a watch this space one, mate. It I wouldn't put it out of the the equation at this point. No, well, we'll have to wait and see, and you might be proved right. Alrighty, Dunk. It's time to talk about your team, the Horseshoe, the Colts. Made a big change yeah. up the top. Did they ever, Nads? And let me tell you, this is the most excited I've been about an Indianapolis Colts off season <laughs> since I I just can't remember how long it's been, and it's purely and simply because we fired Ryan Grigson. Jim Ursay finally did it. He pulled the trigger and said, nah, you're out, and we got rid of him. That dude was like cancer to a football team, man. I am so excited we got rid of him. Um, almost as excited, not quite, but almost as excited about the guy they've hired to replace him. So we've hired Chris Ballard. And for those of you that don't know Chris Ballard, he is the former Kansas City Chief Director of Player Personnel. So he was central to a lot of the the recent roster decisions that the Chiefs have made. He's turned that defense into an absolute monster. He surrounded Alex Smith with talented guys like Tyreek Hill. 
it's just I'm really excited to see what he can do. He's got a really solid reputation around the league. Everybody seems to hold him in really high regard, not only for his ability as as a front office guy, but just as a person. Yeah, it's the the big one for me is it's going to be interesting to see how he goes developing around a franchise guy that's Andrew Luck. And you consider he's been part of um, Kansas City and they haven't had a franchise quarterback. So they don't have... Um, well, they've had Alex Smith and they haven't had Alex Smith on a franchise quarterback type of contract. So it's going to be interesting to see with a little bit less money how he's going to do, go developing a pro football team. I think you're right. It's going to be interesting. I would say it'll be better. And I know that, you know... He hasn't had Alex Smith on a huge contract to manage, but the Colts have like $60 million in cap space. It's not like we're you know, really strapped for cash because Andrew Luck is taking all our money. The reality is Andrew Luck is taking all of our money, but nobody else on the roster is worth paying. Yeah, I'd, ag- I'd agree with that there. No, Luck's, so, Luck's definitely worth every penny. So, you know, he's got all this cap space. He doesn't really need to worry about offense a great deal, maybe worrying about a couple guys to put in that offensive line to keep Luck upright. But he can basically devote his entire attention to building that defense. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Apart from um, needing someone to help Frank Gore out. Well, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks with the running backs preview for the draft. There's a lot of uh, buzz going around that you know, the experts seem to think the Colts are going to take Dalvin Cook at 14. So we'll have to wait and see whether that eventuates. No, it's a, it's a wait and see, mate. All right, Nads, we've gone through the coaching changes that have happened in the offseason. Let's take a look at the free agent preview. So, guys, we've decided to, to split this up. So this episode, we're focusing purely on offensive free agents. So, Nads, let's start with the most important position. Let's start with the quarterbacks. What can you tell us about the free agents on the market? I'm going to throw this one out there. Mike Glennon. He had a great rookie year, and then he got injured. And since then, Jameis Winston got drafted in Tampa, and he's pretty much been invisible since. And you would have to think that there are other quarterbacks out there who were used extensively this season who Glennon is better than. So guys like Jay Cutler, for instance, I think Mike Glennon's a better quarterback. Um, Someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think Mike Glennon could go into New York and do a better job. So having said that, I think the best fit for Glennon is Jacksonville. And the reason why is he negates Bortles to being uncomfortable in his position there. So Bortles right now, he for the first few years, he was deemed as the, the, the starter. No one ever disputed that. But after a few years, you can't really rely on Bortles anymore. You have to, have to shake it up and you've got to bring someone in new. And Glennon's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. He might cost you maybe $10 million a season. Okay, so be it. That's the cost for a franchise. Well, it's not even a franchise quarterback. It's a... a an okay starter. And if you can force Blake Bortles to like compete, maybe you actually bring the best out of Blake Bortles and then you've got your franchise quarterback anyway. And then in that case you can ship Glennon off for a later pick. It's yeah. it's it's a win win situation, I reckon. Yeah, look, I can see the merit to that. I um I think having competition for any spot is helpful. It doesn't matter how good you are. 
having knowing that you know you've got to be constantly looking over your shoulder because the next guy wants your spot it really motivates you to work, to, to, to sort of work that little bit harder um so i definitely think it would be good competition for bortles having said that um look i i agree with you i think there there are a lot of quarterbacks that we use this year that that uh, mike glennon is better than um will teams go out and and pay you know as you said 10 million a year let's say <clears throat> for mike glennon mm, i don't know um Look, I I don't mind him. I, I rate him as a serviceable starting quarterback in the National Football League. Is he going to be the best player in the league? Nowhere near. Is he going to be able to come in and do a job? I think so. I actually feel like, and I'm, I know you've said Jacksonville is a good fit, I'm going to go in a completely different direction, and I'm going to go with San Francisco. And there's a reason I'm going to say that, and that's because they need a quarterback. But we've been over it, and we'll go over it again, I'm sure. The draft class this year, there's no real standout franchise guy, right? Glennon has had experience in the league. He's someone that you could probably trust with Shanahan's playbook enough to, you know, be serviceable as as a stopgap while he improves everything else and waits for that franchise guy to come in the draft. So I could see Glennon going somewhere like like San Fran. That's that's an interesting decision. Um, yeah, no, I, I certainly think that he could be a stopgap for at least two years. Um, in that scheme, um, let's let's move on. Let's move on to another player in the in the quarterback class. So Brian Hoyer, he's a little bit older than Mike Glennon. He's a bit of a vet, and he was having a career year in Chicago in 2016, and then he got injured. And in my opinion, he's a smart quarterback who you can rely on for maybe one or two years as a stopgap, like Glennon, to buy time for a new regime. And if if we look at situations around the league, I really do think the best fit for Hoyer would be the New York Jets. In a nutshell, he's the same kind of guy that Fitzpatrick is, minus the interceptions. So he can throw it around a little bit, but he's not going to have that proneness to like the bonehead plays that Fitzpatrick was making, which was just costing New York so many games this year. Yeah, look, I, I can see the... Uh the merit to that move as well i will i'll throw the question at you do you think like we know the jets need a franchise quarterback right they don't have one on their roster what they do have is a collection of mediocre to average backups who could probably do the job of a stopgap player do you think they go for someone like hoyer to be essentially a slightly better version than what they already have but not really I think you go with Hoyer and then you draft a quarterback on the second day of the draft and let him sit behind Hoyer and let Hoyer mentor him for a few years. Yeah, okay. I can see the merit to that. All right, so I'm going to throw a couple of, uh, let's say, names out of left field that are also free agent quarterbacks. You tell me where you think they're going to go, what you think of them, all right? All right, go for it. First one, Josh McCown. Oh, geez, look... He, he's a long-time vet in the league. He's been around for, oh, goodness knows, uh, over a dozen years in the league. So he must be a bit of a cerebral guy. He's not really had many um, good seasons. He had, he had a really nice year in Chicago a few years back, and then it just didn't work out for him there. Look, he, he's, he's a stopgap at best. Um, 
He's not someone that I'm going to be banking on for more than one season. Probably not a bad guy that you can like let mentor and act as a quarterback coach in the quarterback yeah. playing room. Yeah. Um, I'll throw one at you, Sean Hill. Yeah. Very much in the same category, really. They're they're very similar. They've both been around forever. That you know, they're kind of they're as old as the furniture in some of the facilities. <laughs> um, look, I I I can see. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here, Nads, and say that neither of these guys are going to be starters in the league next year. Oh, big call, mate. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really cutting edge. Um, but no, I agree. I think there's a lot of value in in signing guys like these two as a backup, but also with a view to mentoring a younger guy. So for me, uh, I could see either of these two going to somewhere like Oakland, for instance, where you know you don't need them to be the starter. You've got Derek Carr. But he can come in, he can be a backup. They can be a backup in case Carr gets injured. We saw what happened when you guys had to go to Matt McGloin and Connor Cook. Oh, uh, yes. But you've also got them these guys that have had a wealth of experience around to mentor guys like Connor Cook. Um, so, look, I could see Oakland being a potential landing spot, but as I said, neither of these two are going are gonna to play as starters anyway. Yeah, it's not the most intriguing storyline of free agency. Going on something that's a little more intriguing, let's talk about the running back position. A few star, few star names here. Adrian Peterson, Jamal Charles. I don't have Jamal Charles in my top top few free agents. I think Peterson's certainly worth talking about, though. Yeah, look, definitely worth talking about. So for me, and this is, again, this is my personal opinion on running back. So if I'm a, a GM in the National Football League and I've just been told that the Vikings have cut Adrian Peterson, which came out in the news. I am not going anywhere near Adrian Peterson with a 10-foot pole. And there's two reasons for that, okay? No doubting that Adrian Peterson was an absolute stud in college and he was an absolute stud in the NFL for his first few years. Now, he is... uh, He's not the same player he is anymore. Yes, he's still got the name, but he's not as good, you know? He's had a really bad run of injuries the last few years. And running backs have, I'm going to say, the lowest level of longevity out of any position in the football league. Okay? So why am I going to go out there and pay what is going to be a fairly sizable chunk of money for a guy like Adrian Peterson when you can just draft a guy in the fourth round, fifth round, sixth round who's going to be just as... Maybe not just as good, but he's going to be able to do the same job for you, right? You know, the running back class, as I've harped on already, it is so deep this year in the draft. You can get guys like Donta Foreman. You can get Marlon Mack. You can get um, Jamal Williams from BYU. You can get all of these guys that can come in and do a job, and they're all going to be there on day two and three. Running backs are a dime a dozen. There's no way I'm paying a, you know, a huge chunk of money for Adrian Peterson. No, he's, he's going to cost too much. Um, he's going to probably cost in the vicinity of anywhere from six to eight million per year, and that's too much for for a running back who's on the wrong side of thirty, who has only played one full season in the last three years. That being said, if you're going to put him somewhere, where are you going to put him? Well, I'm going to throw one at you. If I'm going to put him somewhere, I'm going to put him on a team that wants to win now, and I'm going to put him on a team where you know you're basically banking on him being healthy. Okay, so I'm going to throw this one at you. If I'm a if 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 I'm any GM that's going to look at Adrian Peterson, how about the New England Patriots? Oh, that's a big call. 
Big call, isn't it? But think about it. you got Tom Brady there. If you can get a season, one season out of Adrian Peterson, they're probably winning another Super Bowl. That's... that's um... Yeah, that's quite interesting there. I actually think that Latavius Murray is a better fit for New England because I think he's more of a LeGarrette Blunt sort of clone. Um, I'm not sure that Peterson fits the Patriots' offense completely given that Peterson isn't really a threat out of the backfield. No, and that was... A pass threat? That was going to be my my clarifying factor is that Mm. he's not going to be... You know, catching balls out of the backfield. That's been a knock on him ever since he entered the league. My theory with, with saying the Patriots was, first of all, I think Peterson is going to want to go to a team that wants to win now because I think at this point he's more concerned about getting a ring, right? I think he realizes that you know his time is ticking. Um, he's, he's achieved a hell of a lot personally in Minnesota, but he hasn't won a ring. So I think he's going to want to go to a team that's going to want to win now. And I think Belichick is smart enough of a guy. You've seen what he can do with you know, those tweener types of players that get drafted but don't really have an, an, an out-and-out position of what they can do. Somebody like Jabril Peppers, who I think is falling into this category this year. But Belichick is renowned for getting the best out of these, these types of guys. So I feel like even though Peterson might not fit their scheme exactly... I think Belichick would still be able to get a hell of a lot out of him, uh, and it would make that offense scary when he's on the field. Yeah, it certainly would. Uh, I think another another few places you could throw up uh, any one of Green Bay, the New York Giants, or even Dallas to pair with yep. Zeke. I could um, I could see Dallas as well. It's the same same sort of deal. They're all in exactly. pretty well win now mode. So. Yeah. Okay, let, let's move on to Latavius Murray. So Jacina Anderson, she's a reporter with ESPN. She tweeted that Murray's going to test free agency. And the Raiders are going to keep the door open for Murray to potentially re- to return, depending on where he fits in the free agency market. So, obviously, if he, he gets a contract that is in that 6 to $8 million range, which Murray's agent is reportedly seeking, the Raiders are probably not going to match that. But if he gets a contract that's maybe in the 4 to $5 million range, okay, the Raiders are far more receptible to that um, per a few people that I've spoken to close to the situation. Now, he's got elite measurables. He looks great coming off a bus. He's over six foot, 225 pounds, but he doesn't run behind his pads as much as someone of that size you'd really like to. It's one of those no. things. No, exactly right. So I'm going to throw something out at you, Nads. Um, I... I personally don't rate Latavius Murray particularly highly, and I certainly don't think he's worth the six to eight million dollars um, that that he's asking for. You're an Oakland fan. In the last two seasons, what do you reckon Latavius Murray's yards per carrier? Uh, it's it's spot on. It's four point It's four point exactly. Yeah. Over the last two years, that's not elite running back. No, oh that's, no, that's I, mediocre I running back. Yeah, I don't think he's an elite running back by any means. I think he is someone who you need to fit in a by-committee scheme. And I think in the right system, his talents can be used. Um, I think he's a very good fit in Oakland. Um, Schematically, maybe not 100%, but for the most part, he's an elite pass protector. He's one of, if he's a top three pass protector in the league. And you've got Derek Carr back there. They love to protect Derek Carr. And um, they, they need help there. So having Murray as a valve in the backfield, in the passing game, is something that um, 
the Raiders have looked for, and it's it's certainly worked for them. Oh, for sure. But I mean, look, if I'm a GM, I'm not paying a running back eight million dollars a year purely to to pass protect. But oh, I see your not. point. No, I see I see your point. All right, let's move on. Eddie Lacy. The big question, Nads. Which which Eddie Lacy are we going to side? Yeah, the 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 nimble one or or the fat one that can't move his feet. Mate, he, so, stu- he the, the the fat Eddie Lacy would struggle to shuffle forward in the line at Hungry Jacks. <laughs> uh, he'd be fighting Jamarcus Russell for the oh, for the extra French fries. That's for sure. Geez. Yeah, I think he, that's that's the biggest question mark for me. Yeah, he needs to watch his weight. But that being said, he even came back and he was a little more supposedly like lighter this year, but. His footwork still was quite heavy. It wasn't as light as it was in past seasons. So mm-hmm. I, I think you're going to see a pretty small market for Lacey because yep. he's got so many question marks surrounding him. I, I totally agree. Having said that, I think uh, somebody somebody's going to overpay him. I oh, don't know who no it doubt. is, but it's somebody free, will. It's free agency. They're, always, they're going to get overpaid. <laughs> um, I really think that the best fit for Eddie Lacy, if not Green Bay, it's it's probably Los Angeles with the Rams. You've got Sean McVay, who was in Washington, and they used a number of a number of different running backs in their scheme. So they had guys like Alfred Morris, they had uh, Thompson, and mm. they, they had another one. I forget what his name was. Uh, uh, well, they they ended up with Fat Rob, but uh, yeah, the one before Fat Rob. Yeah, uh, Matt Jones. Matt Jones, that's the one. Yeah, no, you, you, you took it out. Um, so that they used quite a few running backs. Now, you could create a thunder and lightning effect with Todd Gurley in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. that would put so much less pressure on Jared Goff. And it would just ease the pressure on Goff for sure. Oh, definitely. My, my question would be... Um, do you, and you might not know off the top of your head. Do you know how much cap space the Rams have? Ooh, not off the top of my head. Yeah, look, I, I, my concern would be if they don't have a lot of cap space, I think they could be better suited spending that cap elsewhere rather than buying a second running back when you've already got Todd Gurley. But I can see the merit merit to it. Um, look, Eddie Lacy to me, he kind of reminds me of, you know, what was the painful Trent Richardson experiment for the Colts. Uh, another Alabama running back. You know, came in, had a lot of buzz, but never really just, you know, there's always those question marks. He looks like he should always be better than he is, but look, I I, I know that somebody will pay him, but if I'm a GM, it's not going to be me. No, definitely not. Um, let me throw you a few sleepers out there. I want your opinions on these two names, Jaquiz Rogers and Tim Hightower. Hmm, interesting. Okay, well, the first thing I'm going to say, and this is more fantasy relevant, uh, I do not like Tim Hightower anymore because I had Mark Ingram as my running back, and for some reason, Sean Payton kept giving Tim Hightower carries when he could have been giving him to Ingram. But having said that, uh, from a football point of view, look, they're they're not your your standout, you know, running back one. They're good guys in a by-committee approach is how I would describe them. If, if you can couple them with one or two other guys, they can do a really good job for you. So um, Jaquiz Rogers, actually last year when Doug Martin went down, did a pretty good job there. Um, again, he's not, not good enough to be that, that standout guy. 
But I could see merit more so in paying one of these guys. You know, you're still not talking big money, but paying one of these guys a little bit of money over a guy like Eddie Lacy that you're going to have to pay a bucket load to get. So I I would be more inclined to go for a Jacquees Rogers or a Tim Hightower. What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, exactly. Go for the value. Go for that second tier and then draft your, your lead back. 100%. All right, let's move on. Let's move to uh, wide receivers now. So we just saw Antonio Brown has become the... Uh, most expensive wide receiver in the National Football League with a $68 million contract. That's uh, ridiculous. Oh, isn't it just? But let's let's look at the free agents. So let's start off, Nads. Kenny Stills, what can you tell me? Oh, he's a deep threat. He's the best best young deep threat in free agency for me. So you really... I, I was tossing up between Kenny Stills and Deshaun Jackson. I've gone with yep. Stills because he's half a dozen years younger. And by all reports, Stills is likely to leave the Dolphins. They're not, they're not close on a deal there. And you, you, need, you need a guy in this day and age to take the top off the defense. So some, someone like oh, Philadelphia, for instance, I think they, they certainly need a, a vertical threat. And then, Mate, they need a wide receiver, full stop. Well, exactly. They need to help Carson Wentz. Yep. I think the, the wild card here is Pittsburgh. Now... They had Mike Wallace a few years ago, and boy, he could fly. Yep. And then they had Martavis Bryant. Bryant's mm-hmm. had his issues. I don't think you can count Bryant coming back. So they certainly need a guy who who you can put opposite Antonio Brown. And wow, could you imagine Le'Veon Bell with Antonio Brown and then adding Kenny Stills as well? That that That's a juggernaut. Good luck covering that. Oh, yes. And you've got Big Ben throwing the ball, so it's not like he's a liability. No, definitely not. Moving no. on, let's go. Let's talk a little bit about a certain receiver who's played in Washington the last few years. He's not Deshaun Jackson. He's a bit more of a receiving uh, possession guy. Pierre Garçon. The Haitian sensation. Um, look, I, I actually really like Pierre Garçon. I liked him when he was at the Colts. It was a shame that we got rid of him, to be honest. Um, having said that, he's never going to be a number one. He's, he's going to be a solid number two that's never going to put up number one type numbers. Um, <clears throat> probably, though, he's going to get paid like a number one. And to me, that's, that's, you know, that's a reach. That's, that's too much. Um, but I do think he's a, he's a good wide receiver. He's serviceable. He's certainly somebody, uh, if you're a team that needs wide receivers, that, that you should go after. Um, I think uh, a potential good fit, I'm going to say the Rams. Um, I feel like he'd be a good guy uh, to help Jared Goff out. You know, he doesn't have a great deal to throw to. You, you, you give him Pierre Garçon, you've got a, uh, a solid guy that, that Goff can throw the ball to. And on top of that, of course, uh, McVeigh, Sean McVeigh, who worked with Garçon in uh, Washington. Um, he's now at the Rams. So I think the Rams would be a good spot. I did think also maybe Tennessee, but I don't think Garçon is a number one guy and what Mariota really needs is a standout number one so yeah Tennessee would be my second choice but I think the Rams is probably the best fit yeah Garcon's a bit of a tease in my opinion he, he, he looks the part of a number one receiver and you're always waiting on oh, when he's going to have that breakout year and he had it only a few years ago in Washington he caught something like just under 1500 yards passing yep. and he hasn't been able to re- replicate that 
with enough consistency. So he's had like one or two years over a thousand yards, but the rest of the time he hasn't cracked a thousand. And in today's modern NFL, if you're not cracking the thousand yards, unless you've got an absolute juggernaut of an offense where everyone are getting their little touches, um, you're not good enough. Mm. That's fair. Let, right. let's, let's talk about someone who is good enough. Alshon Jeffrey. Yep. Most, most talented receiver Ugh. in this class by a mile. There's no, Ugh. there's no doubt about that. But the no. problem, the problem with Jeffrey, he hasn't translated that across a full sixteen game season yet. I was going to say he can't stay on the field, and you know how much that pained me because he's been on my fantasy roster for like the last <laughs> five years. Um, look, he is a guy that is going to get overpaid as well, and particularly in the light of Antonio Brown's new deal. Out of all of these guys, he is the the best out-and-out number one. Um, but as you say, he can't stay on the field. He just hasn't had that consistency, you know. He's had injuries. He had that suspension for a few games. He just he just can't stay on the field. So where is he going to go is the, the big question. Does he go to somewhere like Tennessee, like I mentioned, where they need that number one guy? Does he go to somewhere like uh, Minnesota, you know, where, again, they don't have a standout number one receiver? Yeah. That's probably where I'm thinking. It's got to go to a team that needs a number one. Yeah, I think if if you're not going to go number one receiver, okay, Minnesota, perfect, sounds really great. I think another one that you have to look at and throw up is Arizona because they're going to need to replace Larry Fitzgerald eventually. Yeah. And if we look at it in the meantime, okay, Larry Fitzgerald, he's your number one, but Jeffrey gives you the best number two in the league. He's a bit of a, like, it'd be one and one A. And yeah. the Cardinals want to win now. So yeah. if, if they're looking for that splash signing, because they've, they've pretty much bolted everything on defense. They've they franchised uh, Chandler Jones. And we'll we'll yeah. talk about the franchise tags next week. So we'll, we'll, we'll skim over that right now. But they've got a pretty set defense, with the exception of Calais Campbell being in free agency. Yep. And they need, they need a bit more firepower on offense for Carson Palmer. Because Carson Palmer's the one that they, they expect to win it for him now. So, yeah. give him another weapon. No, that's fair. I can see that. I mean, uh, that'd be a heck of an offense as well. you got Fitzgerald and uh, Jeffrey on the outside, David Johnson in the background, uh, in the backfield, and Carson Palmer throwing the ball. Jeez, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah, it, it'd rival Pittsburgh's. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. For sure. All right, Nads, hit me with some sleepers. Okay, so my top three who are in that second second and third tier. So we've got Jeremy Curley. See, he was a receiver with the 49ers. Robert Woods, he was a receiver in Buffalo. And Anquan Bolden. And I'm not going to talk much about Curley and Woods because those are more or less low-risk guys. They're not, they're not going to cost much to get them. Just before you jump to Bolden, though, I want to ask you. I've got a little nugget for you, Nads. Sure. Robert Woods, do you know which college he played for? USC. He played for USC. SoCal, fight on. Do you know which college Keyshawn Johnson played for? Didn't he play for USC? He also played yeah, for he USC. Played USC. So Keyshawn Johnson was drafted first overall in 1996, Nads. Yeah. Would you believe me if I said that since Keyshawn Johnson, there has not been a single USC wide receiver who has caught more than 2,700 yards in their career since Keyshawn? Not a single one. Wow, that's pretty crazy considering they've had like a lot of 
a lot of good receivers like in yeah. college when they had they had Matt Lynott throwing them the ball. They had Carson Palmer throwing them the ball. Yep. At that then stage. Wow. Matt Barkley for a while, but yeah, not a single receiver has passed 2,700 yards from USC since Keyshawn Johnson. Robert Woods is on about, I want to say he's on about 2,500 at this point, so he's pretty close, but I just thought that was an interesting nugget. That's crazy. Mm. Okay, let's go back to Bolden. So, Bolden's a guy who, he needs to go to a contender. He's a bit like that, you know, you see it in the NBA, the, the vets that sign the one-year deal for the vet minimum in hope that they're going to get that ring and I think Bolden's the kind of guy at this point where okay he could probably start on uh, maybe 10 or so of the the, the lesser teams in the league but he's he's nearly 40 he's yeah. high 30s he needs a ring go get him oh for sure look for me Bolden strikes me as look he's a very high character guy um if I'm not mistaken, he won the Walter Payton Man of the Year award maybe two or three years ago now. Um, so he's the kind of guy you want in your locker room. He'd be a really good mentor if you've got a young receiving core. But again, you're right. He wants to go to a team that's going to win now. There's no point really putting him on a team <clears throat> excuse me, who aren't in a position to win now. There's, just, there's no point to it. So you're looking at your contenders again. Um, just trying to think off the top of my head a spot where he could land. Uh, Oakland. Oakland is the fourth receiver. Let Andre Holmes go, as much as I like Andre Holmes. Bolden would be perfect to go with Derek Carr. They love to throw their fades in the end zone, the back corner pylon. You have Crabtree on one side, you have Bolden on the other, and then you've got Amari Cooper in the slot on the red zone. It, it, it's I can see it now. Well, let's hope your dreams come true for your <laughs> sake. All right, let's, let's move on to the tight ends. Yep. So, we've got Jack Doyle. What do you think? Well, I should know best as a Colts fan. Look, um, so from what I'm aware, um, Jack Doyle, even though the Colts are trying to re-sign him, he wants to test the waters in free agency. So, that that kind of disappoints me a little bit because I actually rate Jack Doyle. He had a career best year in 2016. Um, Obviously... Pass protection is his biggest weakness, and it it is a weakness of his game. There's no denying that. He's you know he's okay as a run blocker, but pass protection, yeah. Which you know when you've got Andrew Luck in the backfield, it's kind of important. Having said that, he's a heck of a receiving tight end. Oh, um, very good receiving tight end. Why um, why are you going to keep him in pass protection? Is my my question. Just send him out and throw routes. Let him throw a chip block on the way through and get him running around catching the ball. To be honest with you, I would rather Jack Doyle over Dwayne Allen. But Yeah, that's a big yeah, I'd agree with that completely. But As, the Colts, especially in today's off like today's offenses, that they need you need to have a receiving tight end. Yep, for sure. Now where where Jack Doyle ends up, as much as I'd love it to be the Colts, it's not going to be. Um I think it's tough actually with all of these um with all of the tight ends to pick where they're going to go. Um, I feel like you need to go to, if, if you're a, a catching, a pass catching tight end, you need to go to a team that is kind of, I don't know, set largely everywhere else. So I'm going to throw a name out at you. What about the Dallas Cowboys? Jason Witten is getting on. 
Well, they, they won't get rid of Witten yet. No, I'm not saying they need to get rid of Witten. But he's got maybe one, two seasons left, max. You put a young tight end there. You've got Des Bryant on the outside, Zeke in the backfield, Dak throwing the ball in one of the best offensive lines in football. It, it It's, yeah, I hadn't even really thought about that. Yeah, uh, well, look, the reason I say that is because I think, depending on what happens in the draft, I think the Cowboys are going to draft one of the tight ends in round one. But we'll get to that in another podcast. So if he's not going to Dallas, I don't know. Where do you reckon he ends up? Okay, I've, I've got him going to Tennessee. So... I like the idea of them using a two tight end set with Jack Doyle and Delaney Walker. So mm-hmm. if you look right now, Tennessee, they run a lot of power running. They do a lot yep. of power. They've got DeMarco well, I mean, Murray. Derek Henry. Exactly. So they love to run it. And then they've got Mariota with the play action boots coming off that and all that. So yep. what you want is you want to be able to have multiple receiving threats out of the same formation. So what that allows you to do is it allows you to be more multiple in the way that you scheme things up. So if you go with like your two tight end sets, you can run power, but you've also got Walker and Jack Doyle who can go out of the backfield, get off the line of scrimmage, and be there as a receiving threat. So they can, they can really be very balanced in such a system. Yeah. Well, I can I can see the merit to that, and I mean, just about everybody's in agreement that Mariota needs more people to throw the ball to. So, mm. you know, I could see that working out. Um, if the Colts had any say over, I'm pretty sure they don't want him going to a divisional rival. But that's no. the joy of free agency, isn't it? Exactly. If they let him go, he's he's free game. All right, next one, Nads. Martellus Bennett, best tight end in this class, no doubt. And this is a guy who's reliable enough in pass protection that you can keep him in to protect your quarterback. And he is nothing short of an elite receiving threat. He's, he's an elite re- receiver in terms of being a tight end. And right now, where he was in New England last year, it was the perfect role for him. But he's probably not going to get paid there. Belichick doesn't really pay, pay those guys unless your name's Gronk. Yep. So... I think he's going to be leaving. Now, I've heard through my own own sources connected with the Raiders, and the Raiders are interested in Bennett. So I could conceivably see him being quite a good fit there. The Raiders are going to let Michael Rivera go. That's, that's likely to happen. So Rivera's unlikely coming back to Oakland, so they're going to need another, another tight end threat to help out Derek Carr. They've got Clive Walford there. I think Walford's going to be a good player, but they also want to emphasize the running game a bit more. I talked about the two tight end sets earlier earlier on regarding Tennessee and Jack Doyle, and I think something similar could happen here with Martellus Banner. Then they could put Clive Walford or Lee Smith opposite him to really get that power game going, but remaining balanced in the passing game as well. Yeah, no, that offense would be pretty scary if you put Martellus Bennett there. All right, let's look at sleepers. Tight end sleepers are always hard, but who have you got? I've got Levi Toilolo yep. and Ryan Griffin. Well, that's so, a lot easier to say. Yeah, Levi's the backup tight end in Atlanta, and Ryan Griffin was a number two tight end in Houston. Now, I don't really rate either of these guys too highly. I think they've got potential, um, but it's really they're going to need to. Um, probably get a one-year minimum deal and hope that they stick somewhere. But, yeah, those are two guys that I'll just... 
I'll be paying a bit of interest in just this year, see how they go. Yeah, look, there's not really a lot we can really say about these guys. Um, just have to wait and see what happens, I guess. And uh, hopefully for their sakes, they end up on a roster. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on. Let's look at uh, offensive linemen. So let's start with outside guys. Let's start with the tackles. And I'm going to fire my, my first name off at you. Andrew Whitworth, what can you tell me? He's the best player in free agency by a country mile. On, on offense, that is. So yeah. he's as good as any offensive lineman or any offensive tackle, I should say, in the league right now. He, he's as good as Joe Thomas has been over the same amount of years. The only thing that is going against Whitworth is his age. So he's 35 years old. So, okay, offensive tackles can probably go to their about 38. You don't really like... You don't, you don't want to be banking on, on your elite your elite left tackle to come in at 35 years old and try to get um, schematically up to speed in a new system. But Whitworth's a guy that you can just plug plug in at that left tackle position. You're not going to have to worry about your blind side being an issue. No, for sure. Now, for those of you that don't know him, he's the left tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, now, it's, he's a he's he's been a pro bowler the last two years and he's been a pro bowler three times in his career all coming in the last five so even though he's getting older he's actually getting better with age like a fine wine mate yeah exactly right all right who else have you got on uh, offensive tackles okay so let's switch over to the right side so the best right tackle on the market in my opinion is ricky wagner so he's been baltimore ravens right tackle and what you're seeing the past few years especially is we're seeing right tackles, their pay is increasing. So the, de- the so-called dependency on having your blind side protected, so with the, the left tackle, it's far less than what it used to be with the increased balance and like the spread of NFL offenses from a schematic point of view. We're seeing, think- we're seeing guys as well in the draft, like they're first rounders and they're getting picked specifically to play right tackle. Look at someone like... Um, the Conklin in Tennessee. I think, yeah, yeah, I think part of that, though, as well, defenses are now scheming, you know, guys like Von Miller and Khalil Mack coming, on the le- coming off the left end. So all of yeah. a sudden, your right tackle's blocking, you know, the other side's premier pass rushers. So there's, there's more importance on the position there. Completely agree. Yeah, they're, they're, they're putting more... Definitely, it's uh, very much a game of um, cat and mouse. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I totally agree that he's the best right tackle on the market. To be honest with you, outside of Whitworth and Wagner, there's not a lot really that I'd be nah. paying much attention to on the, the outside guys. There are a few interior linemen though, and I want to start with, you know, you said Whitworth is your best player in free agency on offense. I'm going to go with my best free, uh, free agent on offense. Kevin Zeitler from the Bengals as well. He's been an absolute elite offensive guard for the last five years. And I just, I, I don't understand why he's even on the market, to be honest. But as a Colts fan, with, with the problems we're having on the right side of our offensive line, let me tell you, if we managed to somehow string him into our organization, whew, I'd be a happy, happy man. The dude is a stud. Yeah, he, he's an absolute gun. He's a beast. Um, you, you, it doesn't make sense. Like You see someone like Zeitler as a free agent, and... He's still young. He's still going to be like around the league for the next five, six years at least. And you just you look at him and you think, 
Like, what's what's the red flag on him? Why couldn't he come to an agreement with Cincinnati? He's that good. He he shouldn't be a free agent. Like, no. What have since Cincinnati have like screwed this up so much? You talk about you know you said offensive linemen can play till they're thirty eight. Kevin Zeitler's twenty six. <laughs> he's twenty six now. Mind boggling. Uh, he's anyway. He's my number one. Where he ends up is anybody who's going to pay him the most because that's what he deserves. He'll get Coleccio Semele type money. He'll get close to twelve million a year, and he deserves it, no doubt. All right, who else have you got for me? Let's go. Let's talk a bit about J.C. Treader. So he was a he was an interior lineman for Green Bay. And he's he's a young guy. He's had a couple of years in the league, and. By all accounts, this season he played pretty well. But the problem was, this year he got injured, got a knee injury. So he only played the seven games. So I think he's he's a bit of a one to watch. I do like his potential, though. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's these kind of guys that the young ones are the ones you're looking out for. So like you say, um, JC Treddy and, and, and I was talking about Kevin Zeitler. If you can find that young young linemen that you can sort of build your line around um excuse me it it's really helpful like it you want to be going for these younger guys i think and then put the put the pieces in place around them put the right coach in the system and build a a team together rather than try and overpay a team of mercenaries that have been around the league for for a long time that consistency on the offensive line is so important you look at the atlanta falcons they made the Super Bowl. They were the only team to start the same five guys on the offensive line every week. That's incredible. Mm. Yeah. All right, next one for me, TJ Lang. Yeah, another Packer. Another Packer. Uh, pro bowler this year. He's uh, 29 years of age, so he's still fairly young. Look, I think he's a gun as well. If, if the Colts couldn't sign Zeitler, I'd be more than happy with TJ Lang. Do the Packers let him leave? I don't know. I mean, they've also got problems. You know, Nick Perry, he's another free agent for the for the Packers. So they're going to have to figure out how they're going to spend their money. Um, but considering how much of a, you know, they're in win-now mode with Aaron Rodgers, so they're going to want to keep their best players as much as they can. So it, I'd be surprised to see him leave. Um, but if he does, any team that picks him up is going to be happy to have him. Yeah, it's interesting. With, with TJ Lang, given that he's a Packer, the Packer way has always been to to draft and then keep that guy if they're worth keeping. So I don't know, like it, it it's one of those red flag moments whenever I see a packer that's made the free free agency, I think okay, what's why haven't Green Bay re-signed him? Because their philosophy is so much entrenched on drafting, developing and then re-signing that guy. Maybe it's yep. just a maybe it's just a, a cap thing where they're not going to be able to fit him, but uh, it's 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 one of those the way I have a few trepidations about. Well, we'll have to wait and see. You got any more for me, or uh, yeah, we I got, it I've up? got one more. I've got one more. So Larry Warford, he, he's he's like my rock solid guy. So he's a four year starter for Detroit, and he pretty much played in almost every game. So very 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 durable. And the best part about Warford is he was strong in both aspects of run and pass protection. So. He really he can fit any system that you want to put in. That's a power game. Yep. Yep. I I totally agree. I got nothing really to yeah. <laughs> to dispute you on there. Um, it's really hard to grade these these linemen sometimes. Is 
you know, nobody really pays attention to them. Everybody's watching the ball, not the, not the linemen. And you, and you pick on them when you see them blow, you know, completely whiff on a block and a guy gets through untouched. But for the most part, it's really hard to grade them. But I think you're right. He has been very durable. He's, he's that solid guy um, that's that's strong in, in all aspects of the game without really being, you know, a star per se. But having said that, Again, I think if you're if you're a team that's got problems on the line, uh, you know, would be would be worth a shot. Yeah, you could certainly do worse with him. He's also very young, as you said. Mm, I think only twenty six years old. Uh, yeah, something like that. Twenty five, twenty six. Yeah. So. yeah. Mm. Uh, you got any sleepers? Oh, look, linemen sleepers are hard, man. Uh, maybe. I mean, a guy like Ronald Leary, so he was part of Dallas's elite offensive line this year that was one of the best in football, so I could see him going somewhere. Although I think Dallas would be a, you know, foolish to, to break that offensive line up. Um, other than that, maybe guys like uh, you know John Sullivan, he's been a vet for a long time. Um, he was a starter in Minnesota, and, and last year he was a backup on the Redskins. He could probably find a home somewhere. But again... You know, if you miss on these these bigger name free agent linemen, there's not a huge amount of value in the sleepers. No, definitely not. I think another one that you could look at as a sleeper is Patrick Omame. I hope I sp- uh, pronounced that right. He he's a guard and um, played in Jacksonville um, this year. Look, he's a guy that I, I would look at in that third or fourth tier of free agency. Who's going to come in on a one year, maybe one one to one and a half million dollar deal. But realistically, yep. it's really it's really hard to project offensive linemen with mm-hmm. with more like your running backs and the, the receivers. You can have a better idea as to what they where they fit a lot better. But trying to move around offensive line pieces, it's not not the easiest thing to do. No, it's definitely not. But I think, uh, as I said, if you miss on one of those top four, you know, Treader, Warford, Zeitler, and Lang, if you miss on one of them. You know, you're hoping in the draft you're going to hit on a gem, but I think uh, those are the guys you, you're really going for. But I reckon that that pretty much wraps us up for offense free agency, Nads. Obviously, guys, next next episode we'll be going through the defensive side of the ball, and then we've got combine and the draft leading up, and we'll have all sorts of previews going there as well. Yeah, it was pretty comprehensive, mate. Like like you said, we'll cover defense next time. So I think it's I think it's time for the big one. You did a layup last time. It's time for a slam dunk. Yeah, so obviously, unfortunately, last episode was more of a layup. Didn't really uh, get that full slam dunk in. Didn't quite have the vertical leap. Um, This week, again, it's not going to be a slam dunk. Per se, it's not going to be a rant. We're not going to be getting on our high horse and shooting down the NFL again anymore. But I did see an article today that actually, it, it really intrigued me. And it was something that, it, it made me really happy. And so I just wanted to share that with everybody. So, um, the Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, he's uh, doing something that's a little bit uncommon in the NFL nowadays. He's, uh, he's trying to help his players succeed in careers after football. So obviously we've got the uh, you know the NFL draft combine coming up in a couple of weeks, but uh, reports are coming out of Miami that Stephen Ross is hosting sixteen of his Miami Dolphins players for what he's labelled a business combine in New York this week to give them you know 
an idea of what they can do with their lives after football. Because we all know nowadays, you know, the career of a footballer, it's getting shorter and shorter. So, you know, you get paid a lot of money while you're playing, but there's a lot of time in your life left after you finish. So the players he's got involved, it's not just all of his star guys either. You know, he's got names like Ryan Tannehill and, and Cameron Wank, but he's also including free agents. He's including fringe players. He's really trying to connect them with local businesses and business leaders, um, you know, to, to, to help them explore other opportunities um, beyond football. Now, this isn't something that's a once-off this year. You know, he did it last year and he only had six players sign up. This year, he's got 16. So obviously, you know, there were some positives that came out of it last year. The players have gone back in the locker room and gone, you know what, this is kind of pretty cool. All right, so we got more interest this year. And I think it's really important. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the NFL is a business, right? And when you're playing football, I don't think the players sometimes grasp that you know, they're, they're basically traded commodities. You know, the owners, the front office guys, all they're trying to do is win a ring. But they see the players more as, as tools and pieces to get them, you know, to, to, to winning that title. But for a player, you know, you've got your whole life to worry about. You've got family, you've got friends, you've got, you know, maybe kids. Things that are going to cost you money in the future. And if you get to the end of your football career and go, wait, what, what do I do now? Like, I, I'm not ready for this. All I've known is football. Um, you know, you're going to struggle. And and you see stories all the time coming out of you know, former NFL players that got into trouble with drugs or alcohol or, or the law or whatever because they didn't really have a career path for them after they got out of football. Um, so I think initiatives like this are what we need to see more of around the league. I want to give um, Stephen Ross a lot of credit for this. Not only does it give players the opportunity to develop skills, develop relationships, and, and start to, to think about life beyond football, it brings the playing group together, and not just the stars, but it brings the whole locker room. If you've got you know your quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, going and talking to your guys on your practice squad and becoming good mates with them and bringing them in, it just gives this sense of community in the locker room. And I think uh, a lot of owners around the league should really take a look at what Stephen Ross is doing and try and implement it for their own organizations because it's a really good initiative and I'm really excited for it. So again, not really a rant, not really a hardcore slam dunk, but it was just something I wanted to bring to the attention of all our listeners on the podcast that you know some owners around the league are doing the right things by their players, Nads. Yeah, you, you make some really good points there. And I, th- I think the big one is just the fact that an owner is looking out for their players, especially when they're seen as more or less tools and pieces, like you said. Um, that's really good because so many owners don't look out for their players long term and then we see players getting in trouble. That wraps up another episode of Any Given Monday. It was a pretty wild one. It's going to be even more wild next week as we get into free agency a little bit deeper. Yeah, for sure, Nads. I mean, we're covering, obviously, the defensive free agents next week. We're going to look at the guys that have been franchise tagged already and potentially talk a little bit about their futures. And then, of course, we've got to start looking at the draft, Nads. The combine's coming up. We're going to start going through position previews, ranking the players and the prospects. And then as we get closer and closer to the draft, we'll get into some mock drafts and have a little bit of fun there. Exactly. The NFL really has no off-season. So in the meantime, guys, make sure you like our Facebook page at Any Given Monday Pod, and then also follow us on Twitter. We're at Any Given M-O-N-P-O-D. Remember, guys, you can also catch me and Nads individually, so you can catch Nads at H-B Nadoni, N-A-D-O-L-N-Y, 
And you can catch me at DSong, S-O-A-N-G. And don't forget the hashtag AskNads mailbag. We need your questions coming in, guys. We're going to bring that back in the next episode, assuming we've got time. But it's definitely coming back in the future, so don't forget to fire in your questions. We're always going to have time, mate. There is always time for AskNads. In the meantime, keep fighting for those inches, guys. Have a great one. Take care. Catch up! 40! Oh, he's at the 20! Gets the block! He's gone!